Welcome to the Prosperity Perspective by DML, a conversation about how successful business owners invest their hard-earned money to preserve their wealth and what they might have done differently in hindsight. Thanks for joining us today, guys. Today, we are joined by Bill Nussi, uh, expert on the renewable energy side, and excited for him to share a little bit about his journey and his story with us today. So, Bill, do you mind uh, introducing yourself to the audience? Absolutely. You know, thank you so much for having me, Liam. I, uh, you know, I've been an entrepreneur, a business guy since I was, uh, I don't know, 15. I couldn't throw a ball and I found a computer in the library and it just worked. And I've been doing software tech businesses my whole life and had the great fortune to grow and exit some businesses. And uh, about five years ago, I had a particularly good exit and decided to step back and say, what do I want to do that really matters? And I said, I want to find the most exciting industry I can find and also an industry that makes a really positive impact on the future. And I found clean, uh, what we call local energy in this book. Uh, that I wrote. And uh, so I spent, supposed to be one year, spent four years writing a book. Uh, that's probably not something I would uh, advise anyone to do, but uh, the book's out, it's done well. And it's been a real privilege to be a part of this uh, this this awakening that energy is actually going to change the world. And it's fun. And it's great to get up every day being part of an industry that's, that's changing the world. That's awesome. What uh, so entrepreneur at a young age? What took you into software specifically? I will never forget when I first sat down in front of a computer. You know, I was socially awkward, didn't have a lot of friends, had no sports abilities, which was pretty tough back in the those days. And I, uh, uh, yeah, I just sat in front of the computer and started punching on it, and it made more sense to me than anything I'd ever done in my life. And honestly, I never looked back. And I just, I was so lucky to be born when I was. And to discover something quite accidentally that uh, it was like an instrument to me, and I just discovered I could play. And and so I've been doing. I don't I don't program anymore. I like to say I got demoted to management uh, back in my twenties, and so I've been stuck in executive jobs ever since then, just sort of looking uh, jealously at the uh, programmers who get to do the real work. Uh, but I've also done other things. Now that I'm in clean energy, I get to play around with much more than just software. It's it's a lot of fun. Very cool. So as you went on your journey and you you started getting to that point where you know you started having more money, you had more profit, cash flow, right? Whatever, either for yourself personally or for the business. What was your framework in terms of you know how you invested it and where you allocated? Well, there's a personal and a, and a business side, and everything I've done except for my the company I started in high school uh, was venture capital backed. And I've been a venture capitalist, and I will be a venture capitalist again. And and so, uh, but I know all the jokes, and m- many of them are deserved. And so, when you have venture capital investors, it's uh, the, the term is GBF, grow big fast. And and uh, the measurement of uh, exits for the venture capitalist is typically unrelated to cash flow and very related to growth rates. So the mantra is grow, 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 grow. And and obviously, I had a lot to say about it uh, as the CEO. But uh, when your competitors, you've got three or four competitors, or, you know, racing towards the finish line next to you, and their venture capitalists are inserting money in them, uh, you first have to step back and say, "Thank goodness we have a, a team and a business and customers solid enough to be worthy of this money." But then you you put it in, your your butt's on fire, your your you know you got bugs in your teeth, and you're just running forward. But I'll tell you the, uh, but there is a, I think a pretty related aspect personally, and along the way. Uh, I had the chance to sell some of my uh, stock to investors that were eager to get in, and uh, there wasn't room to 
to bring in more traditional venture because we didn't need it. And so I made a very big decision uh, when my kids were in their uh, early, middle school age to sell some of the stock. And people thought that I was crazy to do it because there was a strong chance that the company would do very well. And it did. And, the, and I'd be leaving money on the table, so to speak. But I did it. And uh, I got to tell you, the, what happened, we sold the money. I got the check. Uh, it wasn't quite a million dollars. Uh, but uh, my kids' college was paid for. And that was one of the most powerful, freeing moments of my life. And I had, would never have guessed how much it changed and how much it led for me to be able to take the leap into clean energy and become an author and all these things. Because for the very first time in my life, I felt like I didn't need the business to be 100% successful. There was I wanted it to be, and it was. But I was able to say the most important things in my life were taken care of. And uh, I could then take some risks. And what I think my colleagues, friends, family would tell you that after I took that money off the table, um, I was willing to embrace even more risk in the business rather than less. It was the opposite of what you'd think. But I felt emboldened. I felt like, you know what? Um, I'm not going to I'm not going to have to worry about um, you know uh, being homeless if, if uh, I'm exaggerating. But I, I really felt like I had a uh, plan. So I doubled down and that created, I'd say that attitude helped create some of the big success we ultimately had when we sold uh, the, the software company I'm talking about to IBM. As you look back, you mentioned friends and family. Did the relationship with the board change and the strategic decisions that you were making and how hard or slow you were pushing or they were pushing uh, as a result of uh, that new comfort that you had? I think that was transparent to them. I don't think they saw it. My friends and family did. Uh, the board didn't. Uh, what, but you know, it was interesting. The board had, for a long time, had a let's generate profits to some degree, which at the time in venture capital and high tech growth company uh, history was a it was it was mixed. There were some people thinking that profitability was the best way to go, a little bit of profitability, and others were like spend, 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 lose all the money it takes uh, to grow. And I probably, my board was probably as cons as conservative as they could be. So we were actually building cash in the company and, uh, and our competitors weren't. Our competitors were famously telling the marketplace and that for every dollar they sold in revenue, they were investing two in the business. Essentially, they were losing 100% profits, 100% losses. And this was a badge for them. This was a come work with us. And this was... Uh, I mean, listen. I can I can grow a fast company. I, I grew a, before this company. I grew a company two hundred fifty percent a year from ten million to five hundred million. So I, I can grow a company when that's the thing to do. But uh, uh, this was insane. So we but we did what we did is uh, everyone, the board, me, and the executives. We got comfortable investing more, and it was the right time. And things took off. We were still profitable, but things took off. And uh, a few years later, we sold the company to IBM for a wonderful return, more than anybody expected. And uh, and then it became the IBM Marketing Cloud, and that's a whole other chapter in my personal and in the company's history. But it was a uh, the question of profitability uh, with Liam was just um, was that was a just I'm glad you have a podcast on it because what, what do you do personally? <laughs> what do you do professionally? It's super difficult. No, I don't know if there's right answers. Oh, there's definitely not a right answer, right? Um, but I think it's finding what works for each person, right? That gets them to a point where they feel free. Right, uh, that they feel involved, well said. Uh, taken care of from the family, right? Whatever that looks like, and it's different for each person, for sure. Um, but you know, there's a thesis that people have that I vehemently disagree with. I wrote a book for my kids before the book that 
uh, you and I found each other about, but it was uh, it was about how to live your life. And I said that there's this age old idea of the burn the ships that if you really want to take a risk, if you really want to be successful, you got to get rid of all backup plans and just go for it. And I, anybody that's ever put that in front of me, I come back in them and say, that's the dumbest thing I've ever heard. And, and if you need desperate abs, abject failure to push you forward, then you might, you might benefit from having some therapy. Um, and, and I can just tell by the questions you're asking that, you know, it's easier to be to take bigger risks. It's easier to see with more clarity when you have a degree, when you have a foundation, and that's certainly been my experience. And I'm I'm very pleased. We've had uh, you know I've overseen many companies, several companies, and we've had some great exits. I took one public as CEO and got to ring the bell in the stock market, and and you know did all that. And and um, I've always always have a plan B. It's kind of one of my things, and I always make sure that we're we're not going to have to go begging for somebody else's cash. Um, so I think there's a balance in there, just like you said. I am very much a believer that the fear-driven anything, motivation, et cetera, just creates bad decision-making, right? And so uh, financially, right, that creates a lot of pressure for people, right? Where there's a fear of not being able to take care of the kids, not put food on the table, right? And uh, that drives bad decision-making where incentives aren't aligned to overall purpose in my mind. And so- uh, I agree. I like to strip that out uh, as much as possible. But um, when we're talking about your exit, how long did it take to kind of build the company and exit the company? Because we hear about stories where it's like, oh, yeah, it's here and we've sold and, uh, you know, three years and I'm a unicorn. Uh, is that? Oh, yeah, absolutely. That's what happened to me, man. You know, we, st- we I got involved. I got hired into the company. It was only 14 years later that we had the exit. I mean, it was like a <laughs> s- snap of time, you know, and and if you said billion, if you just remove a few zeros and that's uh, at least my part of it, I, I, you know, we were venture back, so I didn't own much of it. The company sold for $300 million, but I, I owned a little bit of it, but uh, yeah, 14 years uh, was one of the, it was a slow, slow rise, slow move to success. And it could have, you know, and realistically it might not have had that wonderful legs that, that it did, but it fortunately for us and the shareholders and employees and customers, we had a great exit and IBM was a great place for us to land. Along that journey, was there, uh, obviously, when you took some money off the table, um, gave you a lot more comfort. Was there any fear or trepidation along that journey in terms of, because you're pouring a lot back in, right? And the venture capitalists, obviously, uh, maybe don't demand it, but strongly suggest that it all goes back into the company, right? In terms of being able to provide for family or increase your you know, take or salary or anything like that along the way. Most venture back companies, the, the the VCs have a strong say, and particularly the CEO, which was the role I had. So they set the CEO salary. Uh, there's strong uh, legal documents that control the governance. It doesn't mean that the VCs take over. That's a for folks that haven't had venture capital. I can tell you, I've been on both sides. They don't control the company, uh, but they have an influence. And and you should not take venture capital money if if you're not ready to have a partner at the table. It's like it's like getting married, right? Uh, you don't get, you know, you, you still, it's not like you've lost your freedom, but you, uh, quite the opposite. You gain something amazing, but you are, you're just a second person involved now. And uh, you need to take their, you don't marry them unless you feel like you're going to get along. And same thing with venture capital. And and so, uh, uh, you know, uh, from a pay point of view, what we did at my company and most companies and the, the dozens of boards I've been on where I'm 
the investor or the board member, you typically try to pay the CEO and the top executives market. So you look at what similar companies, similar size, similar amounts of cash, venture capital raised, and there's a lot of data. And you, that's where you pay your team. And if you're performing high, there might be some great bonuses. Where they get you is with the stock options. You know, Hey, this is a great year. We're going to shower a few more stock options on you. And that's where... Um, uh, that's where you uh, get the long-term goal benefits if the company is successful in the long-term. And I was lucky in, the, in that regard too. So as you fast forward to after the exit, big influx, how did that change your framework, right? Because now you've got a lot of disposable income. You don't have to right. worry about the kid's college, right? You don't have to worry about, you know, probably paying off the mortgage or anything like that, right? How did that change your framework of, you know, where you put the the cash? Well, let me let me tell you the true story. You, I'm curious, Liam, if you how often you've heard this. Uh, but when we thought an exit would be possible, then we thought we'd be make millions of dollars and more money than we. I mean, we've lived in the same house for 25 years. My wife drives a seven year old Odyssey minivan. We've always been relatively only money we spend really is to take vacations with the family. We just got back from Peru, for example, with my two boys, which was phenomenal. And and she had this idea. She said, "Bill, if you have a, if you as a, the the breadwinner in our family have enough money to retire, uh, you're going to lose what makes you so unique. You're going to lose that fire under your ass." So she said, "I'm going to propose to you, and frankly, twist your arm, and we're going to put the bulk of the money, and we're going to give it away. And so we're going to have en- enough money left over for you to write this book that you've been talking about. To you know, maybe put a little money in a startup or two, and and then you're going to have to get a job again." And uh, I didn't even hesitate. It's like, that's a great plan. And so, uh, you know, the day the deal closed, a very large chunk of the money went into a family giving plan. As you know, the, if you know the way those work, you can't take it out and buy something. It's, it's dedicated to nonprofits only. And Liam, I could not have imagined how much I would enjoy, how rewarding and how happy I was that we had done that on both sides. So, you know, my, I do have a lot of energy. I'm a passionate guy. I love to build things. And so we've taken the money we're giving away for the Family Foundation, and we've done mostly with electrification projects. We've helped provide light and electricity to thousands of families in Africa. Uh, the, the book, This book, Freeing Energy, that I wrote, there's a story in the beginning. It opens up with uh, Hurricane Maria taking out all the uh, island of Puerto Rico. And so we were down visiting a school that we had helped fund the microgrid that lets the, the school run all the time, even when the grid is down. And meeting these people and hearing what a difference this microgrid, the electric system lets the, the lights and the refrigerators run 24-7, whether the grid's operating or not. Uh, we've done that all over the world. Uh, we funded the largest solar-powered uh, school in Georgia, where I live. And uh, uh, it's a low-income school. And it's just, that has been so rewarding. And it sounds like it sounded to me, I thought it was going to be like sitting on the, the the board of the ballet or the art museum, which is cool. Not my thing, but it was so different. It was so real. It affected people and I met them and it changed me as a person. And so when you ask me about the next chapter of my career, I uh, I want to get rich because I want to give more money away. And uh, it's, it's it's been fascinating. And the other half of that, she was right, man. I have so most of my like actually all my friends that have done well. There are this well, you know. I'm, I'm. It's kind of nice to work out of my home office, and it's kind of fun to do this. And hey, we're gonna go take. We're gonna buy this third home, or I'm gonna get the latest Tesla. And uh, I'm like, you know, uh, 
we we're fine. I mean, we're not we're not worried about the keeping the lights on here, but like, okay, I gotta get it. I do, I have a job and uh, I'm gonna get paid. And I am excited, I'm on fire, I want to get back to work. Um, and in fact, I'm starting next week and uh just so excited. And I'm, I am pretty sure that I would not have followed this path if I'd had the opportunity to have enough money to retire. I, I don't think that's for many people, by the way. So I don't advise that. But boy, was that good advice for me, for my wife. Did the purpose-driven aspect come prior to the money coming in? No, it was after. That's the crazy part. I think most people are wired to really help the world. And uh, you know, I think there's a lot of people I've known, most of my friends, like, I want to help people and I want to go work at a homeless shelter and they just, they get called to do that. And I've always felt like what's wrong with me because I don't, I want to go build businesses. I want to create jobs. I'm, you know, I'm not a harsh capitalist, but I, I want to do things. I I can make a a leveraged difference. And uh, once, you know, two things happened after we sold the company. One was that we started giving the money away and I realized the difference it makes. And I saw it viscerally, which I didn't appreciate. And the second thing is I started writing this book behind me and uh, I, I was not an environmentalist. I, I certainly cared, but I wasn't one of these people that was marching or writing checks to environmental firms. And when I found out, I couldn't believe my assumption was that, you know, these things that they talk about on TV and these articles I was reading, well, those are just people that are exaggerating to make a point, you know, and it's, I'm sure that's, they're picking one example of how bad how much pollution there is from coal plants. It obviously can't be that bad. This is America. And holy cow, Liam, the things that I have seen, the things that I have learned about just how nasty the uh, electric grid is, uh, I turned into an environmentalist and how I give money to environmental firms because um, you know, the the degree of damage we're causing the planet. Don't even talk about climate change. I don't even use the term climate change in my book. Just talk about pollution. I had no idea. So now I'm an environmentalist too, but uh, all after the fact. Was there any, so you talked about obviously giving most of it away, having some, was there anything that was like for you, fancy yes. car, you know, second home, something that you're like, that's great, honey, but I need these one, two, three things for me. There are three things. I did three things for myself. Uh, I, I'm a computer nerd, as I mentioned early on. So I bought the latest highest end Mac. So I'm talking to you on a Mac Pro right now, because why do you need a Mac Pro for video conferencing? Because you can, right? Uh, I bought a Tesla. So it's now eight, eight years, seven years old. One of those original Teslas. It runs great. I'm a huge Tesla fan. Not sure I would, I certainly don't know if I could afford one right now, but uh, glad I have one. It lasts a long time. And the big thing we did was uh, uh, we uh, we had a place, a second home, just a tiny little piece on a 30 acres of land, and we just upgraded it so we could have more guests. Uh, my my older son brought 25 of his friends, and there was one bathroom, and they were covering oh. the, fr- the front lawn with 10, and they were going in the woods. And uh, uh, so we just decided we needed more bathrooms. So I, hired, I went and found a builder, and I said, can you just add like a bathroom and a little room on the top of this for uh, for my for my kids to have some space? And he, uh, long story short, it's the house is now gone and there's a substantially larger house in its place. And it is, you know, one of the great things you're talking about families. When I was, uh, my kids were younger, uh, I had asked a lot of parents who seemed to have kids that were well-adjusted and had good relationships, which is often the exception. And what did you do? I said, I heard the same thing over and over again, surprisingly about down here in Georgia, it's pretty common which is my friend would say, well, my parents have a lake house or, you know, we've got a small place up in the mountains. But the key was that that place was something that 
their children's friends wanted to go to. And they wanted to go to my my very small one bathroom, uh, you know, with uh, we had dirt bike, we have dirt bikes, and they wanted to go dirt biking, and they wanted to go there rather than go spend the weekend at a friend's house who the parents opened the liquor cabinet and said, whatever you guys want, you know, call we'll call the police as it gets out of hand. And that wasn't the kind of place I wanted my kids to hang out. So they brought their friends to my place, and we, my wife and I stayed way, way back. Uh, you know, uh, someone injure injury, so we we deal with it. But other than that, we left them on their own, and so we got to know our kids' friends. And it was amazing. And I think that was one of the, and so, you know, we just got back from Peru uh, and we put a bunch of money into it. And, uh, but no, 26 and 22, and they're still our closest friends. I assume that uh, it was Lima uh, over to uh, Aguascalientes, or did you actually do the- You have done the thing. We we took the train because we wanted to to Aguascalientes, and then we spent the day at Machu Picchu. We climbed Wayan Picchu for us non-athletic people. It was quite, uh, quite- quite challenging, terrifying. And then I really wanted to go to Lake Titicaca. If you know that, that's where the floating islands are. These islands literally float. They're made of, they're man-made by people for hundreds of years and they're made of reeds and they live, they have animals and fat houses and they raise children on these floating islands. And uh, and one of the reasons I wanted to go is this whole book is about uh, local energy, small scale solar and battery systems. And that's the only way to power a floating island. And so, um, thought about writing it off as a business trip, but we were only there for a few hours. It's so cool to see these uh, pure, pure solar powered solar battery systems were the sole mesh that method of powering these people's lives floating out there in Lake Titicaca. That's awesome. What's uh, what's the most exciting thing that you're working on today, Bill? Well, the book was was really a big part of my life for a while. And uh, so now I'm on a mission to People are uh, particularly right now. People are like, what do I, what can I do that matters? It's positive, and the reason I wrote the book was there's so many business people that are looking to get into a career that they feel has a lot of meaning. Uh, they're not moving numbers around. They're not moving money around. They're actually creating things or helping the future. Uh, a lot of people are concerned about climate change, and this is you know so this industry is something they can work on. And so I wanted to show not just people that. Uh, going to install the solar or finance the solar, but I wanted to show entrepreneurs and innovators how they can actually create those those high growth kind of businesses that uh, that's not obvious how to do it, and that's what the book's about. Uh, and uh, it took me a while to figure out a way to do it. Um, it's uh, some parts of the energy industry are politicized, and so I wanted to cut through all that. Like I said, I didn't mention climate change at all, and so finishing that book was a huge milestone for me personally and professionally, and. Uh, uh, so my next step is to um, basically be in a position to help through in- investment and boards uh, create a next dozen, two dozen, 30, 40 different companies that are going after these enormous opportunities and uh, create a community of them and help you know add some advice. I've grown some companies myself and see if we can create the next stock of these great companies uh, to make money for investors, have great jobs, get people as excited about waking up in the morning as I am because they're working towards something much bigger than themselves uh, and to uh, change the world, which has really always been my, or to make the world a better place. That's always been my mission. Very cool. Um, If you were to leave one piece of advice or feedback for entrepreneurs who are kind of going through that journey and getting to the point of profitable business, uh, what would that be? You know, the, 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 the main thing that I talk about in the book, which is a little more specific to that topic. But, uh, you know, I think when people are 
when they're looking for meaning in what they're doing, uh, they the key is to look for something larger than yourself. And family is the most obvious part. But if you're if you're ambitious and you and your ambition takes the form of I want to make a dent in the universe, as Steve Jobs said. Uh, I, I the last line of this book I wrote um, is a quote from Robert F. Kennedy, and it talks about why you as an individual can make a difference in in everything, including the transition to clean energy. And it goes as follows. Uh, few will have the greatness to bend history itself, but each of us can work to change a small portion of events. And in the total of all those acts will be written the history of this generation. And to me, that's the future of uh, this this next generation of energy. And it's not about giant companies and giant government. It's about individuals and families and communities. Uh, and we're going to do to energy uh, what uh, personal computers did to mainframes. Going to turn it inside out, upside down. And make it much smaller than hopefully too. Yes, sir. <laughs> uh, what's the best way for the audience to be able to connect with you, Bill? Uh, I've got a big website. I've got podcasts. I've got articles. Uh, so freeingenergy.com. Uh, it's not free energy, although there's a lot of that talked about in the book because solar and batteries are awesome. But freeingenergy.com is uh, the first place to go. Awesome. Appreciate your time and your insights today, Bill. Great to be here. Thanks for having me, Liam. Thank you for joining us today on The Prosperity Perspective. If you'd like to subscribe to our podcast, please head over to theprosperityperspective.com, where you can hear from other successful business owners on their approach to investments. On our website, you'll be able to learn more about how DML Capital currently helps other business owners, like yourself, diversify their investments and grow their wealth. Take our short quiz to see if you're ready to take the next steps toward your financial success. 